Welcome to the West of North London, where we're getting the red cards out of the way early. I'm Caleb. <laughs> and I'm Tim. Um, yeah, I remember last year when we didn't get any of those. I'm, 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 I'm seeing that this might be a bad trend for going forward. I'm a little nervous about that, but I'm sure we'll get into that later. Yeah, we'll talk, mu- talk much. <laughs> we'll talk about we talk that. much. We talk much <laughs> about these things. Um, beer. What is your beer of the week? Uh, well, I got a, we have a new beer out at a menace brewing up here in Bellingham. And so I got a, a, a six barrel of it for my kegerator at home. So it's called the Anita Nother, which is an IPL. It's a, a joke, kind of like a Mo Simpsons joke where you're using the the fake name type of thing. So uh-huh. need another. Um, yeah, so it's an IPL. It's super light, crisp with all those hoppy flavors. Comes in at a whopping four point four percent, which I know is your uh, your your favorite. I'm 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 teaching myself to to love the the lighter beers because I, I just can't I can't be doing IPAs all the time. I mean, I just, I, I do love a, a lighter percentage because it's something you can, you know, have four or five of kind of relax, especially in the summer when you're just like kind of sitting out in the sun or long sessions of FIFA. It's nice to have something that like after two, you're not like a complete waste to humanity. Yeah. I, I feel, I feel in my old age. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, I do. I do feel like the IPA is like if I'm especially these days with the with the three kids i will have an yeah. ipa and feel sometimes like too tired after one like it kind of <laughs> just makes me sleepy so i need something lighter so i can maintain myself i mean you have a responsibilities you have like three human lives yeah you know? but i don't i, I mean i want to relax but i don't want to knock myself out like that's yeah. gonna happen anyway i don't need to i don't need it to happen <laughs> early um well, good. I so an Indian pale lager. Is that what we're going with? Mm-hmm. Okay. IPL. It's a basically the same process as making an IPA, except for using lager yeast and you let it lager. Uh, yeah, and then also keep it at a little, little bit lower ABV than your your typical IPA. But so it's. I mean, it's kind of like a, a light uh, pale ale. Uh, I know some breweries uh, they're they're calling it what is it a. Uh, Cascadian lager is another term that I've heard people use for that. Mm. I want I want the Lipa, the light IPA. <laughs> Session IPA. There's a, there's a lot of kind of carryover in a lot of these terms. I mean, lagers and ales are very different yeast strains and kind of different processes. But yeah, there's a you know cold IPAs kind of fall into some of these same same categories. Mm-hmm. Everybody's Categ- branching out. Yep. Gotta try some new it's, stuff. Yeah, I mean, categories are kind of a weird thing anyways, because there's a lot of uh, squishiness on the edge of the, the the category. Right. Well, I'm going very traditional in my IPA. I don't remember. I feel like I might have had this on the show within the last few months, but uh, I'm drinking a Red Hook Longhammer IPA. Mm. Nice. Classic Northwest. Yeah, the original. Uh, well, one of the original microbrews yeah is that a stubby stubby bottle stubby yeah bottle. i love a good stubby bottle yeah uh i got married about 10 10 years ago as of last week and the wedding was was uh fueled by the 
many <laughs> Red Hook Stubby bottles. Nice. Yeah, I know it's it's a classic. I I, I do love it. Uh, they I think they were just put up back up to sale from Imbev recently. That uh, Imbev is divesting them of a. Yeah, they got bought out by. I think it was like a a, a weed company. <laughs> Tracks so, Northwest. Some, some weed company, and this is like globally, bought up a bunch of similar uh breweries. I think they got uh a couple of Goose other Island. Ones. Goose, yeah, Goose Island was one of them. Yeah. Uh Ten Barrel. Those ones that uh Imbev bought up like gosh, I want to say probably like eight years ago. Yeah. So now they're all under this new roof, but I, I don't think much will change. I think it's a no. A land grab, but just same stuff, different owner. <laughs> but uh, yeah, as uh, the only thing that really has an impact on Seattle these days is their um, their brew lab, which is is pretty cool. So I hope that st- that stays in place. Um, yeah, but otherwise it has very little impact locally. <laughs> or you can go visit your local brewery. That's right. Support your local brewery. Um, let's move on to the Tim bit this week. Uh, so I know we're going to get in deep into this conversation, but, uh, there was a, uh, somewhat controversial yellow card given out during the, uh, palace game to Tommy Yasu for, uh, wasting time. Mm-hmm. So I was just wondering with you, what is the exact time you consider time wasting on a throw in? Is it eight seconds? Is it five seconds? Where, where, where's the line for you on time wasting? Uh, because it's actually not legislated in the rules of the game, which is the funny not. thing. Um, I don't know. I really, I think if you're if you're considering that there there may be challenges getting the ball into play, and and as far as finding an open man, I think you can go ten to fifteen seconds and really fit within a reasonable time frame. In my mind, you can tell when a guy's time wasting, and that's uh, that's the frustrating thing. Is like. I understand that a team may try to slow the game down and may have several guys go up there and uh, have a, a turn at, 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 <laughs> at taking a slow kick or a slow um, throw in. But the the Tomiyasu thing, I, granted, they, they'd been apparently, you know, he got a, a little bit of a warning with Havertz previously to um, Tomiyasu's throw in, but I, I feel like you have to look at the individual and be like, okay, is, has he been doing this over and over in the game? Is he, is it obvious that he is, he is trying to do something here um, and try to isolate it from what a team does or what other players on the team are doing. It's just, it's crazy to me to hold, hold one individual accountable for a, a team's worth of, of time wasting. So you, you're, 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 you know, quick answer would be it. It varies, or you don't think there there's a hard, in your mind, a hard number. Well, I think it, in this in this case in this game, I think game state plays a lot into it. it. You know, this is happening after we score a goal, and Palace is trying to get back into the game. So the pressure goes up from the crowd, and you're you're hearing a lot more um, whenever whenever Arsenal's taking the throw or, or the, the game slows down for a, a second, the crowd's getting into it and <laughs> letting the ref know about it. So I feel like that, that definitely plays a role into it. But the, uh, the main thing to, 
to it is the ref has to take temperature of the game. And I, I don't know if that, that was, um, I don't, I, I just, you know, Tommy Asu was, was not doing anything wrong in my mind. I just, I'm, I'm having a hard time, um, understanding why the ref went to, went to the cards twice for him. Like he, he I, I don't yeah. think either one was really justified. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that more in a, later. I'm just kind of honing in. One of the uh, interesting things I've, I've read about this is that there's some, some quarters starting to grumble about maybe having a stop clock so that if the ball's out of bounds, mm-hmm. the, the, the clock actually stops. Would you be in, in favor of that? I'd like to see how that plays out in a test environment before I make a decision. <laughs> um, I, I like that you can count on a game being done at a certain time and um, already they're kind of pushing the limits of that by adding more extra time. You know, and so that's already going to extend games quite a bit. I, I just don't, I don't want it to drag out because I could see that it being for the players too, create fatigue and kind of um, drag games out if you're stopping the clock all the time. But I, I get that the reality of it is the ball is not in play nearly as much as it should be most of the time. Yeah, it wasn't last week, but the week before in Barcelona's uh, first game against. Uh, so Ciudad, I'm forgetting. I'm sorry. It's a Barcelona's first game. Uh, they were playing against a team who's a merchant of kind of slowing down games. Mm. And the actual time the ball was in play for that game was 30 minutes out of the 90. Oof. Yeah. yeah I mean, you can, you can tell when that's a, a tactic teams are using. And I, I think it's fair to want to do that if you have a lead. I just, I, I get that it's, um, frustrating but i don't think it needs to be so uh le- it doesn't need to be legislated ha- so in such a heavy-handed way like i don't think you need to um micromanage teams for every little throw for every little thing because they weren't doing that before like it's always been you know a, a general six second rule for the for the goalkeepers or at least mm-hmm. that you know that was kind of the understood um metric that they were holding at some point they were holding goalkeepers too. And that kind of fell away. It's like, why, if you're going to do it, go back to what you started with, start actually implementing that rule again and, and actually enforcing it and, and not trying to expand on something you, you didn't care about before. Mm-hmm. Cause if you really I mean, cared about time wasting, you would have done started there. This yellow card, the, that yellow card to me smacks a lot of early season. They just said they were going to focus on this and, Come game twenty, they're not not even going to notice it. No, I don't really think it's going to speed things up either. I think they just mm-hmm. they just opened up the door so they can do that. I just don't really see it happening consistently, and yeah. I don't I don't think it's going to be done in a consistent way until they can actually come up with a real number. Like you you have to say you you can't hold somebody accountable for something that uh, is a moving target depending on the ref or the moment, you know, it, it's either uh, like a 10 second clock or, you know, why, how can you hold somebody to a time that is unknown? I mean, instead of doing the, stopping the clock, would you be in favor of maybe doing like a shot clock kind of like from when the ball is in the person taking the throw or the team who's taking the throw in his hands, you get 10 seconds or whatever. And it's like kind of just like a little, shot clock like basketball style 
Yeah, I'm into that. I mean, the the pitch clock in baseball has certainly helped quite a bit in speeding up that game. So rather than um, rather than slowing down, because I kind of feel like slow the stopping the clock kind of slows the game down or extends the game more than it needs to. At least with a a shot clock or a throw in clock, you would work to maintain a pace and and uh, some rhythm in the game. So I, that would be a better uh, alternative to me. We we solved it. Look at us. We did it. <laughs> um, apparently, they're showing the uh, extra time in stadiums now. It's, oh, really? Yeah, that's a new FIFA mandate this year. Mm-hmm. So you're the crowd can actually see or start start really getting into the ref when he's when he's gone over time. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, some of these things they're trying to enforce or trying to um, reinvent. Uh, it, it takes it takes a while. I mean, we haven't even really gotten VAR figured out over after all these yeah. years. Sometimes I feel like each year it's like a FIFA, the video game, trying to uh, or F- FC now as it's called, <laughs> trying to justify the existence of uh, releasing a new game. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. I think they feel like they have to come up with new rule changes just to to I don't know. Uh, make their existence uh, relevant. I was reading, uh, I think it was a a Twitter thread. We're going with Twitter. Um, And it was from, I believe, like a Swedish second division or third division team. Hmm. And they were kind of challenging the idea of the offside rule based on the way it's written. Meaning, you know, like it's kind of the wording makes it so that when the ball is leaving the player's foot, that is where you call, or that is the point that you're drawing the offside line. Mm-hmm. And so their workaround was like, well, what if you kind of do a, a lifted pass where you kind of hold the ball on your foot for as long as possible before like releasing it? So you're giving that that player that... Uh, is making the run a little bit of extra time before you're releasing the ball from your foot. And so they were going back and forth with the, um, with the rules committee and trying to figure out if that w- how that would be interpreted. And, and uh, you know, some, one of the responses was it's like the, uh, it's not necessarily the letter of the law, but it's this, you know, it, it goes against the spirit. And like, it's that spirit that screws the game up because yeah. the spirit is different to each ref, you know. The yeah. spirit of the law is an individual thing, not a objective thing. Well, I, th- I think it's a, you know, one of my big issues with VAR and some of the stuff is that you're trying to granularize a game that was invented in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. There is a certain point where there isn't binaries, there isn't exact calls, there isn't isn't these things that you can actually make. So in, in some ways it is up to the discretion of the referee. And sometimes our discretions are going to be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, it is, it is something I'd like to see where, you know, when it's something that's kind of, um, you know, it, it, if you want to really affect the game, you create a time that throw in should take and you set that standard and you hold people to it. And you take any of the guesswork away from the ref. There's mm-hmm. plenty of other things they get to guess on. <laughs> but we, slowly but sure, they were trying to eliminate those things. But even when you put something like VAR in, 
they still screw it up. So, I mean, it's like it, even given all the evidence, all the tools, all the rules in place, it still seems to get screwed up by people's opinions on things. And um, I, I think ideally you either are all in on the on the rules or we got to start going back to the way things were and open, just being OK with with refs interpreting everything. Yeah, I mean, not to mention the fact that apparently you can't VAR a second yellow card, which. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's dumb. Yep. Uh, let's get let's get to this game because we're we're kind of mm-hmm. dancing around the edges with the 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 red card thing. So let's let's talk about this Crystal Palace match because despite the red card, it ended up being okay, and we um, we get three points. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's the big takeaway is no matter how we got got to that result, it was um, you know it's the the three points that we'll remember at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, Palace has been a traditionally a tricky fi- fixture for us for the last couple of years. I mean, thankfully we didn't have Zaha <laughs> to mm-hmm. play against. Uh, yeah, and you know. Three points is three points is three points. You, you it does in a lot of ways. It doesn't matter how you get those three points. They're just when you look at the total at the end of the year, it's what's you're gonna, you're gonna really take away from it. Mm-hmm. Not to say we're not gonna overanalyze this game, but you know, I'm happy with three points away. That's yep. at the end of the day. Yeah, and it's a tough place to score. It's a tough place to get a win at. So you know, other teams have struggled. We we found a way to to take away the points. So. Um, that's what you have to do when you're going to be pushing for the champion, uh, the, the, um, the top of the table, you have to find ways to win games. That other teams can't and find ways to get points in adverse situations like this game was. And, um, I think the, the tenacity they showed to continually try to chip away at, at, at palace, even though they were not, were not giving us a lot to work with. Um, we're trying different things. We were trying to make things happen. I, I especially I have to give Enkedia a lot of credit in this game. He was very active, very busy, popping up places, um, despite not really uh, finishing some of the shots he, he should have. Uh, at least he was getting into the right, right areas. He was creating um, chances for himself. And uh, I hope we can get to the point where this isn't just a bunch of uh, running around, but it, it is reminiscent of what Jesus brings to the table. I thought that like, he, him po- kind of popping up and, and being um, in different areas all over the field and, and making himself available was a, a lot closer to the, the Jesus experience than I've seen from Nkedia in a while. Yeah, I mean, I, giving credit where credit is due and you have to Doff your captain Kedia because he did create the uh, the the penalty situation with a, mm-hmm. a heads up run, uh, which led to our one goal. I just wish he would finish, uh-huh. you know. And we really could have been two nil up if he he finished, or even the uh, the one where he tried to chip the keeper. I think it was Havertz twenty nine. Is that Havertz? I was watching the replay. Havertz, yeah. On that goal, he, instead of chipping the keeper, he could have done an easy pass over to Havertz, which, we, I mean, Havertz is also Havertz, who doesn't have necessarily the, the yeah. best uh, the scoring record. But uh, it, it just... Uh, and I'm just kind of 
tired of waiting for Enkedia to hit that final step. I think we're kind of what we see is what we get with Enkedia. And so, I, I mean, I'm not trying to be negative. I know he's kind of a bugabear player of mine. And there, he definitely was, you know, p- positionally great. I just think we need someone who can finish the ball in that position. And I don't know if Enkedia is ever going to be that player. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that we we really haven't seen a lot of Trissard yet. Um, but I think he's that guy. He, he's mm-hmm. he's the guy that makes makes it all happen. Um, but it seems like at least for right now, uh, Arteta is content to let him be a a, a bench option. Um, but you know, if Enkedia doesn't score, if he keeps getting into these positions and not finishing, I think it's it's up to Jassard to really show in practice that he's gonna step up. And I think the the thing that Arteta always seems to bring up is how great uh, Enkedia practices during the week. I think he mm-hmm. really works hard and makes the case for him playing. And um, I don't know what's happening behind the, behind the scenes there as far as Jassard's involvement during the week, but uh, you'd think it would be up to him now to pr- make the case that he should be getting those minutes. Yeah. I'm going to get it. And, you know, as I say, we're, we're, we're not watching practice day in, day out, but I, I do think there's, there's sometimes two poles you can be on with the practices. Those players that practice really hard, look great in practice. And then when it comes down to those decisive moments, you, in a actual game day situation, you just, you, you, you can't do that. I mean, there's an opposite to be said. I, I know a uh, classic Ronaldo, better Ronaldo, not a uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Brazilian Ronaldo. That's the use it. He was notoriously a horrible practicer. He was just wasn't into practicing. But when it came to game day, he was fantastic. So you have the other side of the spectrum there. I don't get the impression that Trissard is particularly bad in practicing. I haven't heard any scuttlebutt about that. But yeah, I mean, uh, getting back to Enkedia, I think he's still. I mean, on that game, I wouldn't drop him on the results of that game. I just wish he would finish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think you can drop him based on those. Uh, I mean, even though he didn't finish, I just feel like the expectations as far as what, um, Arteta is looking for as a, as a Jesus replacement, uh, is that hard worker the guy that's going to pop up in different areas. It's going to make things happen. Um, I don't, I don't think it's at the level that Jesus plays at, but, um, as far as the role that that Arteta wants um, the number nine to play, I think Enkedia came came as close to fulfilling that as as I've seen him come. Um, and and I, he scored just last week, so I mean we can't mm-hmm. we can't knock him too much. Um, he's he's making he's making some things happen, uh, even though he's not he didn't get on the score sheet this week. I'm I really am trying to check it because i do have a personal opinion on the player and i need mm. to, to to be a little bit more fair to him and uh-huh. you know you 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 can't uh, argue with his heads up play on that that free kick that led to the penalty it was you know it was it was smart play yeah let's talk about that for a second because that was um uh i i wouldn't say it was telegraphed i mean that was uh, that was pretty pretty sneaky 
Um, mm-hmm. And party party had a role to play in this um, uh, run that Enkedia made just just by you know getting in the way. He just he just got got between the defender and Enkedia and and made him work a little bit extra to get to him. And it was just mm-hmm. enough to get that separation for Enkedia to pick up the the heads up pass and uh make the keeper have to work for for it and uh you know i think everybody saw it coming once once Nkedia pushed that ball out that oh, direction yeah. it was it was pretty telegraphed where, where that was where that was going yeah i mean the keeper definitely uh, uh committed himself and you, you you know exactly what happens when in in that situation i mean getting back to the uh the party party uh, party's involvement in it it's funny i get we play soccer all the time at the brewery and I get a lot of people who don't know much about soccer asking me random questions. Uh-huh. One of the questions I got was, is a basketball ball style pick legal in soccer? And I didn't know how to answer that because I don't really follow basketball that much. So I don't know what a basketball style pick is other than... It's I think basically what party- you're, you're standing in the way. Like you, sometimes yeah. that's, that's more contact, sometimes it's less, but it, all, all it really means is that you, you're creating an impedance to that defender. So, so what party did was essentially a basketball style pick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that, uh, sometimes that gets called and sometimes it doesn't, it depends on how egregious it is. He didn't really grab and hold and, you know, it it wasn't like so overt. It was more of a, you know, kind of within the realm of what you would normally see on, on a, Mm -hmm. uh, on a free kick like that. So it's, on a different day and a different a different ref, it could be a, a completely different story. But in this case, I didn't think it was so bad that um, you know, a ref would call it back. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, from the soccer point of view, it's one of those things that once they start replaying it over and over after the goal is scored, I started to get a little worried that they might call that goal back or not call it a no penalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's something that is very much on that line. And I've seen, especially with VAR, and when you watch a play over and over again, the worse and worse it looks. I've seen mm. that, you know, given as a a foul, but it, I think it would have been really harsh to call that away. And you know, you would the amount of times you'd have to call that then throughout a game, if that's your standard, what a foul is, would be making free kicks and corner kicks basically penalties or fouls all the time you see that level right. of contact constantly yeah um and it's rarely called it just doesn't it has to be pretty bad or it has to kind of be close to the the play a little bit to you know have an effect and those those ones may get called a little bit more if, if there was a, a chance at the at the ball mm-hmm. or something like that but well i mean the the player that fell down like i was just watching it before the uh the, we started recording the player that fell down would have been the one that was responsible for Enkedia. Mm-hmm. And if he hadn't, if he hadn't fallen down due to the contact with party, he maybe have gotten a play, but it's also, you know, conjecture, right? Like you couldn't right. say for sure he would have been able to, to affect the play. It's not clear and obvious. Yeah. Which is not clear and obvious what clear and obvious means, but <laughs> in this case, it wasn't, I'm saying. Yeah. It wasn't. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so that 
that Incadia contribution led to uh, Odegaard uh, penalty kick. And uh, what was your what was your gut reaction when when Odegaard stepped up versus Saka? I was just going to ask you the same thing. My I I just assumed it was going to be Saka. And I know Saka mm-hmm. kind of touched or was holding the ball first, and then Odegaard kind of took it. Um, I don't. I mean, either of them, I don't mind playing. I, Odegaard has a pretty good record with penalties in my memory. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong on that. I don't have the stats in front of me, but uh. It, he seems to be a person that can dispatch a penalty. So I, I think it's fine. Uh, I do like Sokka taking penalties, but you know, he's had you know some misses recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, if Odegaard feels confident, it's, I think it's also Odegaard's uh, uh, right as captain to uh, say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to take this responsibility on. So, yeah. I think he did a, a fantastic job. I love his run up. I like his mm-hmm. calmness on the ball and uh, pass, passing it into the back of the net shows a lot of uh, um, guts. And I think he he is uh, a, a kind of a, a solid mental player. So I, I I have a lot of confidence in Odegaard to do it. Um, but as far as Saka goes. I was a little nervous when the penalty came up that if it was mm-hmm. him, what what version of him were we going to get? And maybe it's a good thing to kind of take some of the pressure off of him and say, uh, there's somebody else in the team that can do this. It doesn't have to be you. And maybe mm-hmm. some of that will give him a little bit of a uh, a mental release and thinking that the, the pressure isn't necessarily on him every time the penalty kick comes up because if it's more like a, a voluntary thing rather than something you feel forced to do, maybe that's uh maybe that's a little bit of a, a mental uh, break that he needs to kind of get out of, get out of his head a little bit in this, um, I wouldn't say slump, but just, just a little bit of shakiness in his yeah, penalty and, kicks. Yeah. I mean, and I think we all like the redemption story, especially after that, uh, that Euros final, and and the amount of abuse and we 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 want the narrative but at the end of the day mm-hmm. you know i think having another option and someone who's confident in taking penalties is, is just you know is not a bad thing and you know as i said like i think odegaard is as qualified as Saka to take those those penalties definitely and they approach they seem to approach it slightly differently and i think that's good to be as unpredictable as possible, especially mm-hmm. if you're going up a keeper, going up against a keeper who's um, obviously going to try to study what Saka does um, mm-hmm. to to get his tendencies down, and then you you make that last minute switch, and all of a sudden he has he hasn't looked at any tape on Odegaard, and it's yeah. it's great to to switch things up and you know have a have a third guy, you know, yeah. like just just have a rotation of guys that are, are ready to step up at any moment and make that make that work um make that keeper work for it a little bit more Mm um you know i i've been reluctant to talk about uh more of this uh tomiyasu thing since we already kind of talked about it but um was there anything else that that stood out to you as far as the um the throw-in yellow card that came up i it's one of those things that i do in a certain way, get it in which they've made it clear at the beginning mm-hmm. of the season that they're cut it, 
trying to cut this down. I hadn't heard the thing about uh, 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 us getting a warning before. Not Tommy Aussie, but another player in Arsenal getting a warning before. So I kind of understand it. I think it's it's a bit harsh. At least it was his first yellow card. So I think I'm I'm much more willing to give the first yellow card to 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 calls like this, especially mm. if they're keeping it consistent. The problem is I I feel like you know in two games when another team's trying to kill the clock, we're not going to see that yellow card given. Mm-hmm. And that's where like the 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 injustice is already welling up in me. I could be proven wrong. We may see these yellow cards in our favor, and if we if we do. I'll make a mental note of it and go, okay, that was fair. Did you feel like it was egregious though? Like that was the thing, like when I was watching in real time, I didn't feel like it was out of the ordinary in any way. So I think the the stats were the ball was out for about 24 seconds total and the ball Mm. was in Tomiyasu's hands for about a third of that, Mm -hmm. you know? For for eight seconds of the of that time, he was holding the ball. I cannot imagine why that would be um, considered time wasting. I, yeah. I just don't. It, it, I guess you're, if you're trying to make a point, sure. But there was other instances in this game that took as long, if not longer. So mm-hmm. why why him? Why then? I have no idea. That doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, and you have to expect if you're playing, oh, if a team is playing away that, you know, it's going to take a moment for the throw in to happen because, you know, the ball boys aren't going to run straight to you and give you the ball. You know, they're, 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 there's going to be, you know, a little bit of uh, gamesmanship on the, 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 the ball coming to the player's hands. And, it, you know, eight seconds just in, in someone's hand just seems a little short for me. But again, I can... I can almost justify why it was given. It's the second yellow card that really just made me upset. The second one was way worse. I was watching the game at the brewery and I try not to, to, to swear or get too overly negative, especially at my place of work. Cause I mm. like working and I don't want to get fired. <laughs> sure. Uh, I visibly uttered swear words and was yelling at the screen during that second yellow card. Cause for me, that's 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 not even a foul. No, and I don't, I don't understand how a ref can go a call that a foul, and then go for a yellow card, knowing full well that that's going to give the player a red card. I know that, like supposedly, you know, a yellow card's a yellow card or a yellow card, but like every step of that 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 call, I just don't understand. I don't know why I was given a foul, and I definitely don't know why I was given a yellow card. No, and it, it is, um, it, I don't know. It's very frustrating to see a ref who did not have a good view of it, make that mm-hmm. call because what, he was behind Tommy Asu. So Tommy Asu standing between him, the ref and the fouled player. So all he's seeing is Tommy Asu come up behind him and a player go down. He has no clue what Tommy Asu did in that instance to make that happen. He just assumes there's a player on a break and a player has gone down. It must have been the defender 
and I have to because of that that uh, breakaway that he would have had. I have to give him a yellow card. Like it, it's it's by the book as far as what you would expect in that situation, except for there was no foul. Yeah, um, I mean, for 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 me, I could understand then if you're in that bad situation of giving the foul. And in in that case too, can they review that then? If he'd given a foul and then it was actually worse than it was, he could re- they could review that and give the the yellow card. Excuse my ignorance on VAR. If it was a straight red card, he can re- it can be reviewed. Oh, yellow, yeah. yellow cards cannot be reviewed at all. Well, I'm t- I'm talking about a foul that ended up being worse than it was. Can you review that and give cards retroactively on that? A foul that ended up being worse. Like if a, a yellow that should be a red, a, a a foul that should be a yellow. Uh, I feel like they the only thing they could do with yellow cards even still is is uh is change who gets the card. Okay, but I I, I feel like they're really hands off on the the yellows. I think it's the reds they really tend to intervene on. I mean, you know, either way, I think the smarter referee play would have been to just call if you're unsure, call it a foul, but not give that second second yellow to give it a red. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I mean, the other thing that, you know, the other elephant in the room is, yeah, you sh- you sh- I understand why they don't want to review every yellow card because it's, you know, eating up time. But I think. Getting a second yellow card, in my mind, is the same idea as getting a straight red as far as like time wasted and reviewing, sure. you know? Mm-hmm. Why you can't review that second yellow the same way you would do a straight red, I, I, that, that baffles me too. I don't understand the logic behind that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure why they've drawn that line. Um, but, you know, it, it, I, equally as frustrating to me is that, um, you know, you've got, Ayu, who's was on a yellow for quite a bit of that game, making mm-hmm. professional fouls, you know, stuff that would get a yellow card in any other um, in any other situation. And he's getting away with those fouls because the ref doesn't want to give him a second yellow for that. I'm like, yeah, why is it for Tommy Asu and not for Ayu? I don't understand. Yeah. Why isn't it every single long throw is is, is not getting scrutinized the same way? Uh, it, it should not matter but Mm -hmm. it is up to interpretation and as long as that is the the law of the land there it's going to be very hard to say he was wrong you know or you know clear clearly and obviously wrong and uh if if they're not going to look at yellow cards then there's a very large swath of the game that var cannot cannot touch well i mean it's in we we talk about this a lot. It's not that calls get wrong. I understand wrong calls, but it's just like the consistency of calls mm-hmm. that it really annoys me. And it, you know, I think there was another example uh, after the uh, after the yellow card where party shows the yellow card to the referee, does the gesture of showing her yellow card, which you know would have been against us, but that under the new guidelines it was supposed to be a direct yellow and the ref didn't even give him a yellow. So like, I think there's a lot of, you know, inconsistencies mm-hmm. with these, these new guidelines coming in. So I don't, you know, I don't know where these lines are being drawn. 
Yeah, and if it's not clear to us, it's certainly not clear to the players. I think there was plenty of looks of confusion um, for both of for both of those yellow cards. But I mean, it's mm. it's even though the players have been told that uh, you can't can't be time wasting, you can't be kicking the ball away, you can't be doing stuff like that anymore. And until they've had a few games with the refs um, to understand how those individual the individual refs are going to call it. I think it's going to be a, a long and slow learning curve through the beginning of the season, kind of figuring out who's going to call what. And I don't even know if these refs are going to be consistent from game to game. Like, it, it, yeah. is, is this guy going to call it the same way in the next game? Probably not. Like, it, it's not, it, it's, there's so many variables. I mean, if you were Arteta, what would be the instruction you give to players after this game is regarding the throw-ins? Do you just say like, we have to hurry it up like just in case or just kind of continue the same and expect a different referee on a different day is not going to give that. I don't think you can uh, just leave it up to chance every week and, and, and say, stick to your game guys. We got to do what we got to do because if you're, if the result is that you're going down a man, that is, that is a significant impact to your uh, game plan. And you're not always going to see, things out uh the way that they did and you really don't want to i mean we got pretty good at playing um backs to the wall defense a a few seasons ago when we were getting (laughs) consistent red cards but you know it's um it's not where you want to be it's not the way that arteta is going to get to play the type of uh game that he wants to play and so you don't want to have to be keeping your best players on the bench because you got to bring in extra defenders and you know, completely change your tactics at the end of the game to try to see things out. I, I think if it if the adjustment is you got to take a few seconds off every throw in, uh, I would try to make sure the team was following that so that you can adhere as close to your original game plan as 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 you would want and not have it totally derailed by some frivolous yellow card that that's gonna, um, you know. It, it it's a it's a burden on whatever player ends up with that. So you just you can't you can't have you, you can't ignore the the changes is what I'm trying to get at. I'm, I'm imagining Arteta's going to have um, some sympathy for Tomiyasu, but I think the the takeaway is uh, you you can't ignore the rule changes. Hmm. Um. There was. One one other thing I wanted to bring up from this game, and um, well, I should say a couple things. Uh, it, it feels odd that we're we're in game two, and it, it it doesn't feel like it's quite clicked yet, even though we have six points. <laughs> like what 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 do you? I mean, it, it it doesn't feel like we picked up where we left off necessarily. Even though we we have continued the the winning ways, it does it feels a bit different so far. What what's been your overall impression of the, the last couple of games? Yeah, it's early season. Is I think what I'm going to 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 say to that that I think mm-hmm. uh, we have. I agree with you 100. percent We haven't been where we were at the end of last season, or maybe you know two thirds into last season. Mm-hmm. Things aren't clicking. I think there's a, a ton of promising signs. I think. Both Martinelli and Saka looked exciting, and and you know had a sharp edge, but weren't a hundred percent there. 
you know mm-hmm. i think the other side of it is watching a bunch of the other premier league games none of the other teams are there either i, I watched both man city's game and they don't look 100 percent there either mm-hmm. i very few i don't think any of the teams are hitting the ground running 100 percent yet so I think that's why it's important to, that we got these three points because that's why the beginning of the season is so unpredictable is that, you know, every team is running flat and then you can have these unpredictable results and, uh, you know, getting the the wins that we've gotten means that we can start clicking. And I think all the, the pieces are there. I don't think, you know, when you're watching the Sounders last weekend, you can look at that team and say that's just dysfunctional, right? Mm-hmm. It's easy to see that that's like, it's not working when you're looking at these arsenal this arsenal team it's working i I felt like the first 20 minutes we were dominant in that game we had Mm -hmm. a bunch of chances we had possession we didn't quite get to the finishing that we wanted to but uh, i don't think you look at these games and say there's something broken it's just the team has to to find its form and the only way to do that is to play games and play competitive games and so whereas yes we're not clicking i don't i more than i don't think i'm worried i'm excited about what this team can do once all these parts start clicking i think havertz has looked really good i he just hasn't quite 100 percent clicked which you know is going to take time i think Mm -hmm. rice was fantastic this game absolutely hasn't you know like everything's not the 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 cogs, as it were, aren't quite meeting, so they they make a, a perfect machine. I'm doing a hand gesture, which is great for uh, podcasting, <laughs> but the teeth of the gears haven't quite engaged yet. And as soon yeah. as we get everything in sync, the machine will start rolling. And I think we see all the pieces there. And so I'm I'm very positive about where we are, despite the fact that it's been a little bit lackluster. Yeah, I think because our expectations have risen so much. It's easy to forget uh, we don't we don't have Jesus available. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been um, playing party out of position. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the right side has looked a little off. Uh, we have Rice and Havertz who are new and are still finding their footing in the team, um, which is... Uh, affecting that left-hand side and without Zinchenko over there, that has been a big difference in how we were playing at our best last year. Um, so definitely without Timber available, the Zinchenko piece is, is definitely sorely felt because uh, when he did come into the game late, late after Tommy Asu had uh, exited, you know, it, it, it felt like he brought a calming presence. He was able to get, get some, um, control back into the game. Uh, him and Jorginho, I felt like did a great job when they when they were both in the in the the team to kind of bring some calm, get the ball back under control. But um, for Zinchenko to come in on that left side, I think that would really get things back on track a little bit more. Obviously, we're still trying to fi- figure out how to play without uh, Xhaka and Havertz is a very different player from him, but. I think you're without without Zinchenko and without uh, Jesus, you've got Martinelli kind of on an island a little bit, and mm-hmm. um, we did see Rice 
really step his game up this time around. But I think some of his best plays and best impact was actually coming on the opposite side of the field. Like he was kind of drifting out right uh, a little bit. Um, I think his pass to get Enkedia through was came from that right hand side. So it, the left is still left. Uh, it, it's still a little disjointed. So I'm I'm excited to get Zinchenko back into the game and and see how the the pieces start fitting a little bit because I think the party at right back thing is is still not not for me. <laughs> I'd like to see him get mm-hmm. out of that position. Well, I mean, I think th- there's two kind of points I w- want to touch on on what you said, and one of them is that timber injury. I is fairly de- derailing. I think mm. the way Arteta saw it, it, timber was very integral in our plans, and we've set up the team and set up so much of what we were doing in preseason to have Timber taking on a very important role. And with his injury, we've had to readjust. Mm-hmm. And so I think that has definitely affected our performances that we've had to kind of on the fly, come up with a solution. And with the more, you know, Arteta has time to noodle about it and think about it. I think the, 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 the more balanced we'll get. And the other side is uh, talking about party and his positioning, they mentioned it actually when I was watching the replay on the uh, the the pregame about with party in that right back position, it almost sets up that we're a three two two three, where party is going to slot more into that midfield position. So you have almost three ba- a three back system, mm-hmm. party and Rice, and then Odegaard and Havertz in front of them as a dual number ten, as it were. Sure. And, yeah, it's certainly not a position that he stays in very often, but uh, it 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 provides some different things down that right hand side than you normally get from White, who's still making runs occasionally. But, mm-hmm. um, I just like the consistency that Rice brings, or excuse me, White brings, um, White on Rice. Uh, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> whoa there. Uh, the um. The party thing, it, it, he he's all over the place, and so I feel like we're there's still some learning that has to be done to help figure out where players can expect runs and expect players to be. And it's like if, mm-hmm. if we can just get back to a semblance of where we the lineup we had last season, I feel like a lot of the um, smooth movement would come back as well. And so we're just we're just maybe as Zinchenko away from kind of getting things locked back into place. Cause I feel yeah. like rice and Havertz are, are more additive. If you can have that, that uh, solid uh, defense behind them. And, and getting back to party, I don't think this game was party's best game. And, you know, putting aside some of my moral issues I have with party, uh, you know, it's not his position to be in, in that right back position. You can, you can really feel it. And, you know, you know, kudos for him to stepping up to take that position because we need him to do that. But, you know, it it does just really, you know, feel like a stopgap motion having him in there. Mm-hmm. And I'd almost rather see a little bit more adjustment. I mean, Tommy also can play on that side and then I, you know, maybe have uh tyranny or uh Zinchenko when he comes back being on there and make maybe solidifying it that way and going back to that four back system. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I think with with Zinchenko back, you bring in, you bring back Gabriel. You move White mm-hmm. back out to the right side. Uh, Saliba gets back. You know, he's back where he was. But you know, it it's it's up to Arteta to kind of toy with things and and figure out what works best for the team in the in, in the given moment. But um, I think we're we're still still feeling things out this this year and and um it's nice to have rice have a good game it's good to see saliba getting some good tackles in and getting back to his old self i mean he's not even 100 percent yet so there's a lot of a lot of pieces that are kind of still not where they need to be so it's great that we're still finding ways to win even though we're less than 100 percent i want to get back to that saliba tackle but uh before we do that something that popped in my head was what do you what are you making of Gabriel not starting? I, I it raised my eyebrows both games. Yeah, I would be shocked if they if this was some thing to keep him uh, from getting injured due to uh, uh, a sale. You know, I think mm-hmm. it's that would be pretty ballsy to let a player like him go when you're trying to. Um, and you're trying to create depth on the team. I mean, if if you let a big player like that go and you don't replace him, then I think you're right back where you were at the end of last season. I mean, I mean, if you if you're believing the uh, the nasty rumors that are around the edges, it's a, it's a Saudi move, which means mm. Saudi money. Which sure, I think what, what Saudi Arabia in the league that has definitely proved there there is a price for almost any player if they're willing to go there. Mm-hmm. And you know if they're offering above the board like 70,000 or 70 million dollars or pounds for for Gabriel I think you, you almost have to take that money you know and then you can if, reinvest if you can it. if you can reinvest in time I mean there has to be a comparable player you can't hit, well, you can't take that hit to the team necessarily I mean I think that's you know things might get complicated with that deal if you if we still had a healthy timber I think you could you could definitely take that money we do still we have spent more than any other team in europe this year and you have Mm -hmm. to recoup some of those those monies and if you can get two-thirds of rice's money for gabriel i think if you were just doing a straight swap i would have swapped gabriel for rice in a second you know yeah i can see it so you can see that decision but they you know these are just rumors it could just be tactical could be maybe gabriel came back from uh the the break with a you know a little less than a hundred percent fit, so he needed it some more time, or just tactically, you know, Artada felt it was better. But it it is noticeable, and the longer he's not playing, the more questions I'm going to have because I I do feel our best center back pairing, if you're talking about traditional two, is Gabriel and uh, Saliba. Yeah, for sure. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see us revert to that sooner than later. I I do think that um, with Zinchenko out, it has had a bigger effect on that than some might think. But uh, getting back to that tackle from Saliba, I know it's in our running notes because wasn't that a beautiful tackle? I mean, I know he screwed up to put the ball at the at the opponent's feet in the first place, but the fact that he was able to track back with Ayu and... Uh, make a clean tackle and have Ayu stand up in a plot. <laughs> he gives him a little <laughs> clap. I was like, okay, even, even, even he's given him kudos for that one. So 
did you hear the commentary though on that tackle? One, I forget which commentator, but he was asking, uh, like, you know, is that a penalty? Is that like, and you know, mm-hmm. even on run of play, you're looking at that and seeing that that's just a beautiful tackle. That's like a, a very textbook definition of beautiful slide tackle in the box. Well, I think it it speaks to the the danger that is making that sort of tackle in the box because most players mm-hmm. struggled to go to ground and make that sort of um, last ditch. Uh, tackle without putting themselves in jeopardy and it was just so clean i i mean i would have had to done some real salesmanship on that one to <laughs> to make that look like a um an actual penalty so i, I think everybody in in the crowd could see it it, it was it was just so clean mm. yeah that's a it's a reminder that we have a talent with Saliba that I'm glad you know we've we've locked in and we identified because I you know he is really showing himself to be the one of the best center backs in the league and he's still young it's it's mm-hmm. it's great you know you you we, we with him you have almost a Virgil van Dyke style center back that I think will uh really help our campaign Absolutely. I mean, he's just, he's, he's our shutdown guy. I don't think you can, uh, um, complain too much about him even making a mistake if he's going to correct for it like that. Yeah. Um, uh, anything else you want to add on this game? Just really quickly, uh, with the, uh, you know, the signing of, uh, Rhea as a keeper, hmm. it was interesting to see Ramsdale and I felt it was a very good game from Ramsdale and whether that's just, him continuing his form or him looking back behind him and realizing he has to put in a performance. He definitely put in a performance this, uh, this game. And I did see him actually kind of, and maybe it's just my perception, but, uh, be much more willing to play the ball on the ground and be a little bit more, uh, proactive in that, uh, that, uh, sense. Mm-hmm. I think he, he's, he's going to step up and whether that's like a, a, a drastic change or just continuing to be at the level he's been at, um, I think he's he's not going to go down easily, and so it, it's going to require an injury or some slip in form. And so I think he's he's going to do everything in his control to make sure he stays on top. Uh, with that, we should talk about the the Fulham match coming up oh, yeah. this weekend. Um, Fulham coming off a a win, and. A loss so far this season, um, dropping dropping points to Brentford this last game. Um, and they had a red card as well. Oh yeah, that was a there was a there was a Tim Ream red card in this game. <laughs> um, so we won't we won't see Ream, unfortunately. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, Fulham, I. I'm not sure what to expect from them this season. I don't know either. I, I mean, just on the base of things, the fixture gods have been very kind to us with these first three games. They're mm-hmm. all three winnable games, and we've done the first two and gotten those three points. I mean, not I. this is no disrespect to Fulham, but Fulham is definitely a winnable game. I think mm-hmm. we have the the tools and the skills. It's, I mean, I feel it's a lot very similar to this palace game where it's not, it's, I don't think it's an easy game. I don't think it's going to be a walkover, but I think 
I do expect us to to win the game and maybe show a little bit more than we showed in Palace, maybe convert some of those early chances that we didn't against Palace and really take control of the game. Mitrovic is a beast and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he pops up and scores a goal. Uh, but I, I, I do think we have what it takes to win this game or we, and we should have what it takes to win this game. Yeah. I'm, I'm confident that, well, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing with, uh, (laughs) raised expectations. I feel like every game I'm expecting them to be better than the last. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily uh, going to happen on on a linear trajectory. Like there may be games where we don't have the level that we should. And I think last game you could point to that and be like, hey, we only won by a penalty kick. We were mm-hmm. only able to squeak out a win there. Um, so let's not get too overly confident because things can happen. Red cards can mm-hmm. happen. Players can have bad games. We're still building the um, the confidence of some of our new players, and so there, there's definitely areas where we could slip up. But mm-hmm. I, I I think that against a team like Fulham, I I kind of expect that at the at a minimum we're we're, we're going to get a win, and just not sure we're we're going to be as dominant maybe as we should be. Yeah, I mean and this is the curse of what last season did is it did raise expectations. It does. Have, we, we as a fan base and especially with the money we spend in the off season are going to have more expectations. And the, these games, you know, maybe two years ago we would be like, well, you know, if we don't win, da, da, da. but if, if we're serious about being title contenders, there will be slip ups. We're not going to go undefeated. Yada, yada, yada. But, we are on paper a better team and we need to show that in games like these or, you know, any talk of we can readjust our, uh, we can readjust our expectations, you know? Mm -hmm. But I think it's right as fans and as players and as a team that we have that expectation that, you know, the Fulham's of the world, no, again, no disrespect. They're a very handy team. Fulham will take some scalps this year. Like they will, beat some teams hopefully not us that are you know quote unquote better but that would be in our in in some ways our fault you know mm-hmm. it would take us not performing to the level that we we know and we have proof that we can perform at so i don't i don't it's it's scary to have this amount of expectations. It's been nice the last couple of years to just be like, oh, you know, whatever. We're just yeah, building or just whatever. Along for the red. But the you know this season, I, in my mind, I have certain expectations, and beating Fulham home or away is one of those expectations at this point. I will mention that you 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 mentioned uh, Mitrovic, and he he is not somebody we're going to have to worry worry hmm. about. He is he's moved to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> when did that happen? How did I miss that? Um I'm, Am I just it. stupid and missed it like weeks ago? I don't know when that happened. That's good. I mean Mitro is a was a good player for Fulham. I'm Yeah, I'm trying to I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. 
Oh, I, uh, I feel like an idiot now. It probably happened like three weeks ago and I just completely missed it. <laughs> I, I'm not sure when that happened, but it, it's, it yeah. is fairly recent. Uh, two, just a couple, couple days ago. So okay. I think it's very. I have the excuse my mom is in town visiting and I have had not the, as much free time as I want to, to uh, troll the internet or travel the internet for uh, news. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's good for us. Yeah. We'll take that. Um, but it just goes to show even, even staple players like that are getting picked off left and right. Yeah. <laughs> it makes, makes our job easier. <laughs> uh huh. We'll take that. I mean, even without Mitrovic, Volum does have a handy team. Mm-hmm. Still got William. Oh, yeah, they have Will. I am who's going to score a goal just because of the uh, the curse of playing against your former team. Uh, he's he's um, what, I'm trying to think of who else they have. Oh, uh, Bern Leno can't forget him. Mm. And you know, last year, William had a uh, a really good season for Fulham. I think he fit in into their system and they kind of made it work more so than he did ever did at Arsenal. So, I mean, good on him, but I mean, it doesn't, doesn't change and not having Mitrovic kind of just reinforces what I was saying earlier that, you know, I definitely have expectations for this game. I forgot they, um, they, they signed, uh, Adama Traore as well. Oh yeah. So they got, they got some players. Yeah, they have handy Got players. Going on. They have a, you know, they they definitely play a handy system. They're going to make our lives difficult. It, it really does remind me of this last game. I think it, it, we're going to see a very similar setup for Fulham that Palace had. We're going to, you know, encounter some of the same problems we had. And you know, in some ways, it's nice we had a a a, a practice is the wrong word, but like we've got some learning, and hopefully, we take that learning and uh, implement what we've learned from against palace to, to make us better against Fulham. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the other thing that is on our rundown here is, is, is Thea Walcott has Mm -hmm. stepped away from the game. Yeah, actually, I, I think I read the article almost immediately after we signed off last podcast that, uh, Theo Walcott's retiring and, you know, I, I put on the stats because it was a really in, it was a really interesting article where you know, you 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 talk to a uh, Arsenal fan, and it's almost like Theo Walcott was a player that you know never hit his potential. Mm. But you know, he had two hundred and fifty two starts for us and scored one hundred and eight goals for us. Those are just his Arsenal stats, okay. and that's not a, a a bad return. And there's been there were. Moments of joy, and, and the basis of the article was basically that he wasn't as bad as people made it kind of almost remember him as. It was more that the expectations were so high when we signed him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, being, you know, he was the record signing at the time, I believe, yeah. at 20 million, which is cute. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, change. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, 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 created a lot of moments of joy i i, I look back fondly uh, as a arsenal player with him and yeah you know i i think you know legend would probably be too strong of a word but he's definitely a part of the arsenal fabric and a part of 
you know, a decent chunk of my artist watching careers while caught on the wing, you know? Yeah. I, I, there's that tier that's like right below legend where they are quality Arsenal players who made an impact, but aren't necessarily world beaters or, you know, like mm-hmm. that level. Um, they're not, they're but, not Henri. <laughs> right. They're now, no, there, there's some epic names in Arsenal lore and Walcott will, will certainly be mentioned, but maybe not at the same level as, as some of those players. But yeah. I mean, I certainly think, someone who made an impact. I think if you, if you were in the soccer hall of fame or whatever, the Jersey he would be wearing would be an Arsenal Jersey. I think he's his most memorable. I mean, you can make an argument for Southampton as well, but like for the most part, I think his most memorable moments in club soccer were with Arsenal. Mm-hmm. And I think he had a, a career most most professionals would love to have you you know if you start a career and you, they said this is what your career would be most people would snatch at that you know yeah playing for one of the biggest teams in the in the in the world playing for your country going to world cups yeah not a not a bad career to hang hang up uh, or you know not not a bad time to hang up the boots when you've had that sort of career exactly all right, we've got a couple questions we should hit before we uh, wrap things up here. So first uh, comes from uh, our our other Tim. <laughs> um, are our new recruits matching their promise and or the money paid for them? How big a loss is Timber in this regard? Watching the Palace game, it seemed to me that it was hard work holding on to the win and harder than it should have been. Reminiscent, perhaps, of our struggles towards the end of last season. This can be good too because we don't want Arsenal peaking too early. There seems little chance of that as of now. Uh, I mean, I think he hits on a, a, a couple of salient points. I mean, we kind of have talked a little bit about it before, but I, I do think when you're looking at Timber, is just unfortunate with his injury, and he was showing signs that that was a genius signing, and it's just it, it, it it's unfortunate. These this is what soccer does. Hmm. Uh, personally, I think Rice is showing every reason why we spend that amount of money on him. I, I I was really impressed with his game this last game, even though he didn't get an assist or her goal or whatever. I think you're seeing what, why we paid him the money. Uh, you know, uh, with the Havertz, I think, you know, he needs a little bit more time before we can make a full judgment, but I don't think it was a bad outing by him. Am I missing any other big money signing? No, that's it. What are, that's I mean, what all. Are, that's all. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Um, I think we've there's promise, and and this whole team is um, getting used to them as well. So I think as things get sorted out on the left hand side, we're going to see more involvement on Rice down that flank. We'll see Havertz get more involved in the play. I think the the key is getting Martinelli and Zinchenko on the same page as those guys because that's we can't although we've done so many times in the past we can't rely solely on Odegaard Saka and uh whoever's playing down the right whether that be White or, or anybody else but Odegaard and Saka can't be the only avenue to to towards goal and Enkedia is is can't be the one man show uh mm-hmm. so I feel like the sooner you can get Rice and Havertz kind of integrated with those um 
those pairings with those uh getting getting the chemistry up in the team i think then we'll really see bryson havertz kind of what they can bring to the table because we're kind of just seeing little glimpses of it but neither one of them is playing to their peak potential yet and neither is the team so like like tim mentioned um we're we're not anywhere anywhere near the peak we've got a long way to go and that's that's a great place to be not feeling like you're already at your max level at the beginning of the season yeah i mean you see it all too often that these teams peak early in the season and hit the ground running and then they just kind of run out of gas towards the end so it's it i as we were talking about earlier i think it's important that it, it feels like all the pieces are there it's just you know getting that train rolling if we get to halfway through the season and the uh the uh the, the train's not moving forward then we have issues but right now it's promising and i'm i'm more than okay with it um do you want to get this uh yeah i'll pull out uh it was a friend of the pod jonathan king monellis's question monila monilas sorry jonathan i just butchered your last name slammed a knife through that one that yeah was... i apologize <laughs> i i blame the four percent beer uh <laughs> uh okay the red was ridiculous did rice get away w- with one versus easy though i i was trying to find um any sort of replay of that i didn't i don't know if i recall <sighs> that that play I was I was trying to find it too. Was it the one that was a uh, towards like I want to say the seventieth minute where they had a penalty shout, or was that party? Not the the one. There was one with party. Um, and there was another one earlier in the game, but I was trying to remember Rice's if Rice was involved in that one, but that one felt more like the the Palace player kind of threw himself down. So I didn't yeah. really think whoever was involved with that one had a major part in it. I thought the party one was a lucky thing, but yeah. And because I don't of think the, the, involved in that one. the two uh, instances that stuck out in my mind where we were lucky, we were both involving party. It was the uh, penalty shout with party, which I wouldn't, I don't think that was a penalty, but I I've seen it given there was contact in the box. I don't necessarily think that contact has to be the be all and end all for a penalty. Mm. And obviously the referees agreed with me and the VAR agreed with me on that statement. Right. Uh, and then the uh, party brandishing the yellow card, like showing the fake yellow card in his hand, which I yeah they have so, said is something they're cracking down on, but they didn't. Crack that was down. last year. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> new, new year, new, new points of emphasis. So those are the, the two ones where I felt we got lucky. I'm not a hundred percent reminded, remembering any f- controversial, with rice uh but i could be wrong but if i'm not remembering it it probably wasn't wasn't that controversial <laughs> yeah uh sorry jonathan we're really we're we're failing on this uh this question just because we, yeah. we can't remember I'm, anything i saw when this question popped up i thought about actually rewatching the whole game to try and find that that moment but then my life ran away from me and i couldn't rewatch it for a third time I think two two should be plenty. Um, yeah, I was trying to see if I could find any clips of it, but hard to find individual clips of stuff like that sometimes. 
unless yeah. it gets a, getting it, unless it's getting a lot of attention. But maybe the fact that I can't find the clip means that uh, it, it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> but if you send us a clip, uh, we'll rewatch it and uh, maybe talk about it next podcast. Yeah. I do feel like we also got away with one as far as getting to play Palace without a couple of their bigger players. You know, uh, Elise is one that I, I would I would love to sign as a backup to Saka, but, you know, without him, they didn't quite have the same uh, level of power coming down the flanks. And um, I think they, they have a newer midfielder that we didn't, didn't have to play against as well. So, you know, some of these are, it, it's good when you can get a, a nice, easy schedule early in the season, but also try to take advantage of the teams that you do play and, and the fact that maybe they don't have their, uh, their best team ready yet. You know, they haven't brought in all the players they want to bring in and that sort of thing. So it's, it's nice to have all our business done and then have a, being able to play against other teams that don't quite have their, uh, their team together yet. And, you know, you know, deviating from the question a little bit, but speaking of uh, Sokka and his backup, I believe he, uh, Sokka tied the record for most consecutive uh, games played as an Arsenal player. I think it's in the 80s yeah. at this point, 82, if I remember correctly. Something crazy, you know, for better or for worse, the fact that we are so reliant on him is um, uh, good and bad. I mean, it's hard to hard to bench your best player, but um we don't really have a great alternative if anything does happen. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's concerning. It it's good for him, and I think it's a it's a, a fun little stat record. But it do it does show that you know if you're that heavily reliant on uh, on a player where they're starting eighty something games in a row, mm. you might want to <laughs> consider giving the poor guy a rest. Yeah, and I I don't have any transfer news in this in this rundown because we don't really know too much right now I, there's a lot of rumors about um teams sniffing around Balogun and um pepe is getting some looks and uh, i I'm, I'm hopeful that those sorts of players do go out and not the gabriel variety or any of the any any surprises really but um we, we do need to make some sales. So it, it's down to, I think, nine days or something. You know, yeah. Just over a week before the window closes. I mean, I totally forgot about Pepe, to be to be strictly honest. Like, do you, <laughs> is he going to get a sniff of this team if he stays here? Or like, No, 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 no. I think at the very least, he goes out on loan somewhere just so we can recover something and kick that can down the road. Oh. But um, I think he's he's got to go. Yeah. Maybe. But we have quite a few players that are kind of out on the outside looking in. So there's there's a lot of business to get done. Yeah. And I mean, and, and, and someone like Pepe should, I mean, we're not going to recoup our fee for Pepe no. anywhere no. near, but it, it does, we can recoup part of it. I still think you could, you could get 10, 20 million for Pepe. Yeah. And, we could just like find a defender in exchange, you know, yeah. just to have some a backup for Timber going the other direction. <laughs> I, I I don't see much happening in terms of incoming, uh, no. even if uh, they do make big money off of somebody, uh, which I'm, I'm not expecting. But, you know, Balogun's uh, fee will get put back into the pot to kind of offset some of the things we've already done. So I'm not imagining anything's going to change drastically unless there's some amazing opportunity that comes up last minute. But I'm not, I'm not seeing the funds for anything else. 
Well, I, mean, I think that's what Rayo was, was an amazing opportunity. I, I just, yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're done till January is my general feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think it's reflected in like, even the, uh, the rumor mill hasn't even linked us much with anyone coming in. No, I think if we can ride out the, the defenders that we have, you, that, you know, finding reinforcement for timber in January would make a lot of sense to just kind of push that out as far as you can and kind of see how he's reacting to his, his injury. Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, we're, I know we're in, at the magic one twenty mark. So like, I don't want to go too wow. far in this, but, don't. uh, I, that's why we reinforce the way we've done in our defense. And I still think even without Timber, we still have a solid backing, you know, KVR Mm -hmm. is still around Zinchenko, uh, Tomiyasu, uh, Tierney. All these players are, 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 are still kicking around that defense that it, we don't have to panic by. Mm-hmm. to replace timber i think it's like if an opportunity in january comes around there there's there's someone on a good price and timber's still looking like he's that seven month uh recovery window is still there maybe but i don't i don't think it's a panic buy or a a, a huge necessity right well we'll see we've got a long ways to go before we have to think about the January window, we got to close this one up first. But I'm hoping that we get the outgoings that we need to to even make that uh, a viable option in January. All right, well let's let's call it there for this week. Uh, thank you all for listening and uh, review and subscribe wherever you're picking this podcast up. Twi- uh, Twitter, as I'm going to continue to call it, I'm not going to call it X anymore. <laughs> give up on that. Uh, at W of N London. We are uh, at West of North London uh, on Blue Sky, if you're a fan of that one or gotten your invite. Uh, email us at westofnorthlondon at gmail.com. Join us on the Discord by following the link in the show notes. Check out our, uh, well, you've heard our theme song. Check out the band who wrote it. Uh, it's Bobcat, and their website is bobc.at. And that's all for us this week. So as always, see you at the next gun show.